ascended son of God. You say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now, I'm losing that. I stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. Right now, oh, right now, I just can't. It's easy to see when there's nothing to breathe. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can Save through the fire with your mighty hand But even if you don't My hope is you alone See Good morning, church fam. My name is Jonathan Chang. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at CBC, and it's great and a privilege to welcome you, whether you're watching online or whether you're in person here today. Uh, we are beginning our third week of our church-wide alignment series. Uh, and so if you are still desiring to get involved with a grow group or a grow class, you can go to cypressbible.org slash becoming. Also, if you go out into the lobby, you can see Pastor Brian at the Grow Kiosk to also find ways to get plugged in. A question came to my mind, which is, what is the glory of God? Because I believe that this word glory is a word that we use so often in our church vernacular that it can easily lose its impact, especially on us in our Christian lives. And we see in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet writes this in these following verses in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? He continues to write in verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And finally, in verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. These word pictures that Isaiah gives us give us a small glimpse of truly understanding the glory of God, because there are no adequate words to describe his glory, to describe his beauty, his perfection, his holiness. So what does that mean to us on this Sunday morning as we are gathering to worship together? Well, we want to understand that God created man, you and me, to be created. We are created for his glory. We are attracted to things of grandeur and glory and excitement. Whether it's a great movie or whether it's a, a fine meal or a moving piece of music. 
So let us this morning approach our great God. Let me invite you to stand up. Let us see God with this excitement that we have for the things we approach. Let us allow him to speak to our minds and our hearts and let us allow him to move through our lives and give him all praise and honor and glory due to him alone. Good morning, CBC. Very glad you're here this morning uh, to worship with us. We just want to bring uh, praise to the Lord this morning. Hope you can join me in that. Oh 
standing as uh, we pray together. There are words to this prayer on the screen, and I invite you to join me as uh, we speak to the Lord. Let's pray together. O Holy Spirit, who is light unto your children, may you enlighten us. O Holy Spirit, who gives never-ending grace, may you replenish us. O Holy Spirit, who is the fire of our love, may you burn in our hearts. O Holy Spirit, who is Lord and giver of life, may you live in us. As a cloud, lessen our temptations. As the dew, revive our weariness. As holy fire, purge the waste in our hearts. As water, purify our spirits. As the wind, send us out. As a dove, turn our eyes to heaven. To the glory of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
talk about how we are His, we were created by Him. All creation was by Him in particular. We're thankful that we were created by Him to serve Him, to praise Him. Yeah. 
praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above me, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, I imagine you've heard someone say, God told them to do this, or the Holy Spirit led them to do that, when it, wasn't obvious, it was obviously not true. Let me give you three examples, real-life examples. First, Michael Schwab said he noticed someone who was, quote, not driving like a Christian. Shocking, I know. So he accelerated and rammed the vehicle. To police, Michael said, it was Jesus' will for me to punish that car. Second, when Andrew Hamlin shows up to preach at his Tennessee church, he brings a box with a poisonous snake inside. This is just one of several snakes that he owns that he keeps at home. And if the Holy Spirit moves him, he says during the service, Andrew opens the box, holds the snake, dances with it, and drapes it around his neck. Uh, one snake-handling preacher explained this and said, there is, no, there is such a power coming over you, and you're obedient to the Spirit of God, that you're compelled to do what He tells you, and you know it will be all right. Third example. One Christian leader said about another Christian leader, I quote, if I had my way, I'd take my Holy Ghost machine gun and blow his brains out. Now, any rational Christian with even a limited knowledge of the Scriptures should see the error in all three of those things. The power of the Holy Spirit is not violence and recklessness, but peace and self-control. It's not anger and revenge, but freedom, forgiveness, and joy. Now, Scripture commands those who follow Jesus to be filled with the, the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to live in the power of the Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, we are in this series called Becoming More Like Jesus, and we are going through the Gospel of Luke, seven, seven different scenes in the Gospel of Luke uh, about uh, Jesus' life and ministry and uh, how it can teach us to become more like Jesus. And uh, this morning, the focus is spirit-powered like Jesus. Spirit-powered. What does that look like? What does that mean? This is one of the great characteristics of Jesus' life, that he was, had spiritual power. Uh, the Holy Spirit was constantly active throughout Jesus' life on this earth, from his birth to resurrection and beyond. Uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, at his baptism, the Spirit descended on Jesus uh, in the form of a dove. The Spirit filled Jesus as he began his public ministry. And by the Spirit's power, Jesus defeated demons and healed disease. As he was leaving this earth, 
the risen Jesus said to his disciples to go and wait and prepare to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus was Spirit-powered, no question. Did you ever stop to wonder why? Why did he need the Spirit's power? This is God the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why does one member of the Godhead need the power of another? Why is that necessary? Well, I think that's a very good question. Understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and 100% human. Both of those are true. So it was in his humanity that Jesus required the power of the Holy Spirit. As flesh and blood, Jesus experienced pain and hunger and temptation. And so every single day, he was radically dependent on the Spirit while he was man, while he was human. Now that does not cast doubt on the deity of Jesus. It actually proves his true humanity. Now last week we began Luke chapter 4. We looked at the first 13 verses of Luke 4. And these were the temptations that Jesus endured and was victorious over. And uh, the passage started this way, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the desert. The Greek word full here is place, And this means that the Spirit covered Jesus completely. That He was permeated with. He was totally wrapped up, uh, occupied by the Holy Spirit. And look how that turned out. Under the influence of the Spirit, Jesus ended up in a bad place, confronted by the devil himself. The Spirit guided Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the Prince of Darkness. Jesus faced 40 days of hunger and attack. And you might think, well, if that's what happened when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can count me out. But as we studied last week, Jesus survived each and every temptation, and clearly it was the Spirit's power that was key to the victory. Now, you and I are constantly tempted. If you're in Christ, this is something that is true in your life and mine all the time. The attraction toward anger, greed, lust, fear, pride, selfishness, the list is endless. It's all around us, those temptations. And without the Spirit's power, how can you hope to succeed? How can you hope to have victory? Whatever it is that tempts you, don't you see how significant it is that the Son of God, even Jesus the Son of God, was Spirit-filled as He went into His battle with temptation? Well, that was our study last week ending with Jesus' victory in verse 13. And so we pick up from there uh, and see what's next. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. So remember, Jesus had just escaped, endured, and was victorious over incredible temptation. After eating nothing for 40 days, Jesus faced down the enemy of enemies and had victory. And coming out of that desert experience, Jesus went back to familiar territory. Galilee was his home region. It was his Cyprus, his Tombaugh, his Jersey village. And when he went back to this home region, he returned with the Spirit's power. 
Duname is the Greek word for power here. It means might, strength, ability. And in Galilee, his home region, Jesus did some teaching, and people loved it. And then Jesus kept traveling through Galilee until he got all the way home. Verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So this was his hometown. Nazareth was like his subdivision, his village, his apartment complex, his local community. Until I was eight years old, I lived in Afton, New York, population 900, which is a lot bigger than I thought it was, actually. 900. I am sure, even though we only lived there for eight years, everybody knew my family, at least by name. They knew my dad. They knew my mom there in Afton, New York. Nazareth was half the size of Afton, New York. 450 people, and Jesus lived there for decades. He was known. People knew him well. Now, the devil wasn't bothering Jesus at this point. The intense temptation, that was behind him for the moment. But Jesus was still spirit-powered. And he went to the worship service at the synagogue, as was his custom. He was in the habit of gathering with God's people around the Scriptures every single week. Now, if Jesus did that, shouldn't Christians be in the habit of gathering too, as Scripture encourages us to do? Uh, Let me put it this way. How are you going to be like Jesus if you get accustomed to not doing what was his custom to do? Now surely in this last year we can get accustomed to not doing some things that we had previously done and felt were important. Let's not get accustomed to that forever because how are we going to be like Jesus if we're not doing what he was in the habit of doing as Hebrews 10.25 tells us don't give up meeting together and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there he is in the synagogue, and Jesus is handed the Scripture scroll, and he read aloud from Isaiah, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is Isaiah's prophecy of the coming Messiah, the promised one for whom all of Israel was waiting, had been waiting for a long time. This is the Savior who would rescue and rule and repair the world. That's who they were waiting for. And all of those those people who heard these words, read to them in the synagogue time after time, uh, they would say, yes, Messiah is our hope. We long for him, the anointed one. We need Messiah, Mashiach, to set us free. And I'm sure that those who were in the synagogue that day as Jesus read those words felt the same way. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want you to realize that up to this point, everything had been going as expected. The scripture was read. 
It's one they'd heard before. And, and then the reader would sit down. He would sit down to speak. He would sit down to comment on the passage. That was the usual practice for the teacher. This whole thing for where you all sit and I stand is a totally misguided thing. But Notice that when he did that, he had their attention. They're staring at him. Their eyes are glued to him. Why? Well, they're really curious about what he's going to say. They, they knew him as a carpenter. They'd known him all this time as one, a guy who worked with his hands. But lately, they're hearing everybody in Galilee, the wider region, they're singing his praises. So apparently he's a good teacher, a good communicator, and maybe he has something interesting to, to communicate with us, to the home crowd. And he did. He said, that promise you've been waiting for all these years, it's happening today. And now, as you read through the, the rest of the, the, the chapter, Luke 4, it, it tells how Jesus set free a demon-possessed man and healed a woman with a high fever and cured many diseased people with just a touch. And over the next three years, Jesus did astounding miracles and He delivered incredible teaching. Jesus was the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy. Here's how they responded, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So that's how the people reacted at first. Their initial response. Great speech. Very inspiring. Uh, he's quite a guy. I didn't know he had it in him. I mean, this is just the carpenter's son. Uh, this is remarkable. But the more they considered what Jesus had said about the prophecy, and the more Jesus continued to speak, as he does in verses 23 to 27, the more upset they got, to the point that they were furious. And so finally, verse 28, when they'd heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were so incensed that they forced Jesus out of the synagogue, they threw him out of town, they dragged him up a hill, and then the angry mob tried to kill Jesus by pushing him off the cliff. Of course, it was not his time. Jesus walked right through the angry crowd and out of town. And that's the story. And if you're willing, there is truth here that should dramatically change your life today. See, for me, the key phrase of this passage is the one we read earlier. That Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You see, it's not just when the devil is attacking you that you need spiritual power. It's not just when you're starving in the desert that you need to be Spirit-filled. But it's in your hometown, around people who know you so well that the Spirit's power is just as crucial. It's not just when you're tempted by the enemy. It's when you're surrounded by family that you must be Spirit-filled. We're going to put it in these words. It's not just in the badlands, but in your backyard that you must be Spirit-powered. Back home, where they know your roots, Back home where they remember who you used to be. Back home where they remember what you used to do. Back home when they question 
what you've become. Back home where you get no respect. There, surrounded by the folks who are most familiar with you, the power of the Spirit is required. Because back home is where you're going to find it very challenging to be like Jesus. There will be friends and family who make that very difficult. And that's why it seems so hard to share the Gospel with those who know you best. Serving in Jesus' name, being more like Jesus right in front of those who knew you before is not easy. Those who know the mistakes that you've made, your weaknesses, your failures, they make it challenging to represent Jesus well. And you will not be able to do that without the Spirit's power. You won't. See, your greatest need is not more people skills. Your greatest need is not better methods, though both of those things may well be true and helpful. Your, your greatest need is not to cut those people out of your life and move away. Your greatest need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, only under the control of the Spirit can you be all God calls you to be. Now, you only have the Holy Spirit if you belong to Jesus. That is absolutely crucial, fundamental, essential for you to understand. You only have the Spirit if you belong to Jesus. The Spirit is promised to all those who put their trust in Christ. By His death on the cross, His victory over the grave, Jesus opened up the way for all who believe to cross over from death to life. Through His sacrifice, your sins are washed away and you are made new. And in that transformation, Ephesians 1.13 says, you receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of everything God has promised. And so, in effect, the Spirit baptizes you, immerses you into the family of God. He takes up permanent residence in your life when your trust is in Christ. And the Spirit will never leave you because nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So the Spirit will never leave. But that doesn't mean you'll always be Spirit-powered, Spirit-filled. That's why Ephesians 5.18 commands you as a believer to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Allow Him to control your life, to fill the sails of your life with the wind of the Spirit. Because you can resist the Spirit, as can I. You can ignore His influence. You can prevent Him from guiding you, from utilizing you, from empowering you. Now from personal experience, I can tell you all too often I've Try to do a pretty good imitation of a Christian life without that power. I'm simply using my own strength and then wonder why the results aren't that great or why I failed altogether. Now, many of you who know the Scriptures well, you, you know enough to absolutely agree that the Spirit of God lives in you if your faith is in Christ. But let me ask you, when was the last time you saw the Spirit do something in your life. What can you point to that without question was the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you? It's a tough question. And I would say that if nothing stands out, then you're either ignoring the Holy Spirit or obstructing the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, some of you, even as Christians, might well be afraid of the Spirit. And you can understand and relate to Jesus. That's kind of easy. God the Father, you can picture, you can appreciate God the Father. But the Spirit, 
the person of God represented with impersonal symbols all throughout Scripture, fire and wind and oil and water and a dove. The one the King James refers to as the Holy Ghost. The Spirit who filled the apostles so much that they turned the world upside down. You might be afraid of that Spirit. You might say, I don't want too much of that. Uh, That could be dangerous. I don't want to get all crazy now. I don't want to lose control. And instead of being spirit-filled, how about a little dose? How about a little vaccine of the spirit? Let me encourage you, just put away your fear. How can you be too full of the spirit? How is it possible to have too much of what God promised? After all, what would it look like for somebody to have too much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's what uh, Galatians 5.22 says is produced when we are filled with the Spirit. Why would anybody complain about that? Pastor, I can't take my husband anymore. He's too loving and kind. He's so full of goodness, I just want to kill him. Should we fear being too patient? too peaceful i think we should be frightened when we're not demonstrating those things how terrifying it would be to face temptation and and opposition and rejection without the spirit's power now on the other you might not be afraid but you might well be in great need it might be a need that nobody knows anything about Maybe a marriage is falling apart. It might be an addiction to alcohol, to porn, to spending that's taking over your life. It might be worry or fear or financial hardship. It might be health issues. And right now you're looking for help. And you might be thinking, well, if if I had some better teaching, if I had a support group, if I could just get him or her into counseling, If I had more friends who cared, if I had a different job, if somebody would hold me accountable. Now, any and all of those things could be helpful. But you're in the desert. You're in the wilderness. And what you really need is the Spirit. You can't be like Christ without the Holy Spirit filling your life. And unless you allow Him control, unless He is your power, you're going to keep folding under the weight of temptation day after day after day. Unless the Spirit fills you and He's your guiding force, you're going to run short of resources for every single challenge you face. Now, some of you aren't in the desert, thankfully. But maybe you're just frustrated with how things are going. You're maybe exhausted, tired, keeping up with life and responsibility. You're challenged by relationships in your family or your coworkers or friends. You're doing some good things, but you're beginning to have doubts. Does this really matter? Does this make any difference? Does this mean anything? And you're wondering, how can I make a difference? What can I? You might think, well, maybe I just need to cut back on some stuff. Or if I could just do something else. Or if I tried harder. Or if more people would help me. If I just had a better plan. Some of those things might be helpful, but you're in Nazareth. You're in the humdrum home field of everyday life, and what you really need is the Spirit's power, because without that, you're going to fold under the weight of the challenges in your own backyard. You're going to fail to become more like Jesus as you go through daily life among people who know you all too well. And the question is, what is it that's blocking your experience of the Spirit's power? So I want you to imagine 
that uh, one of these jars is your life. Jar filled with water. So just picture that for a moment. And uh, here I have a uh, I get tablets, effervescent tablets, and and uh, get drop that in there. And not a lot happens with that at all. The wrapper's on, but uh, open the wrapper, and those effervescent tablets effervesce. It's a sentence I've never said before. Now, both jars have the tablets. But one is limited by the packaging. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. But you can have the Holy Spirit and not His filling not his power operating in your life. Every single one of you who belongs to Jesus has the Holy Spirit. I I don't think I can emphasize that enough. That's doctrine. That's truth. But how many of us have his power all wrapped up, covered over, buried under? And the question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That is an astounding verse. The spirit raised Jesus from the dead, living in you, in me, as a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine that power? But you can keep him under wraps because he's not going to force himself on you. And now is the time to unwrap the packaging around the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Allow Him to occupy and control every area of your life. Because whether you're in the desert or you're at home, you need the Spirit's power released, enabling you to live for Him. And you say, okay, well, how do I do that? Let me point you to three biblical steps here of releasing the Spirit's power. Number one, you must desire to be filled. You must desire it. Scripture says stop quenching the Spirit. You can put out the Spirit's fire, you see. He's not going to control you if you resist Him. Surrendering to His will, surrendering to the Word of God is absolutely necessary. Now, you might be afraid of what He'll do. You might fear loss of control in your life. You might be comfortable with the the level of Christianity that you're experiencing right now, but then you're not going to experience the, the power, the fullness of the Spirit. So you have to desire that. Second, you you have to deal with your sin. Stop grieving, Scripture says. We grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin. In particular, in Ephesians 4, it's the sin of our mouths, the things we say, the, the, the angry words, the mean things. Failure to admit and confess sin hampers the control of the Spirit. Especially words which are so easy to come out of our mouths, aren't they? You can't expect power. You can't expect fruitfulness if you let sin stay unconfessed in your life. Protecting, harboring, concealing sinful habits, sinful attitudes, sinful reactions prevent the filling of the Spirit. Third, you must depend on the Spirit daily. Daily. Keep walking, Scripture says. Keep on. Living by the guidance and the power of the Spirit is what control looks like. 
without asking for and expecting the Spirit's input for everyday life, you will not be filled. So as you go about your job, as you go about your schoolwork, as you go about your home life and relationships, this constant turning, depending upon the Spirit to empower you to do the right thing, to go the right places, to say the right words is essential. So that's how to release the Spirit's power. You need this, and I do too. Because only in the power of the Spirit can you survive temptation, handle rejection, experience victory over the enemy, and be God's agent of blessing in this world. Today, you can be Spirit-powered. Today, you can be filled with the Spirit if you're not already. If you are in Christ, this can happen today. This can happen now. Take advantage of these next few moments to surrender to Him to repent of your sin, to leave the junk behind and be filled with the Spirit. I I don't know what's in your life. It doesn't have to be something enormous, something unspeakable. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It can be indifference. It can be anger. It can be busyness. It can be doubt. It can be failure. It can be addiction. But you need to respond to what God is doing in your heart right now. In a moment, we're going to close with a song. And during this song, you can get out of your seat and kneel down here along the front if you want and talk to God. You could just simply get down on your knees right where you are, face down on that pew, and do business with God. You might do this in your own heart and mind, but you can say something like this. God, I want to tear away the packaging. Get rid of the distractions. Remove the clutter that fills up too much of my life and hinders your spirit. Come fill me with your power. Fill every part of me. Empower me for victory in the times of great temptation and the stress and challenge of every day. Father, I ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. That just gives you some idea of what to pray as we close with a song. And I invite you to take these moments to speak with God, to tear away whatever it is that is holding back the Spirit's fullness and power in your life, that it may be released for you to be all God wants you to be, has called you to be. Use these next few moments to get rid of whatever might be limiting the Spirit's power and welcome His fullness into your life. Today, you can be spirit-powered like Jesus.
Sing that again with me, church. Rid of the Receive this benediction, I pray upon God for you and for me. God, send us forth filled with love from the Father, grace from Jesus Christ our Lord, and power from the Holy Spirit. We ask this through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.